Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week, we have returning champion Madden Class on the show to dissect the top five drumming moments that she digested that shaped her playing style. Currently a student at Berkeley, Madden also plays with Ravi and the Houseplants, Space Junk is Forever, Mike Doty, Weedus, and a newer band called Mages, and many more. She was one of the last guests before we switched over to this newer format, and I've wanted to get her back on ever since. Her first episode was a very interesting deep dive into her theories on technique and practicing, so go check that out. It's chock full of a lot of great advice from both Madden herself and teachers that have helped her along the way. I'm seriously having such a good time with these interviews and finding drummers that have really changed my own playing. So thanks for coming on this journey with me and enjoy my fruitful conversation with Madden Class. So how would you, how how would you say that playing with slip-on Adidas sandals has really helped you develop your style as well? I have thrown that out the window. I don't know. I like came down here one day and I was like I think I came down in my vans and I was like, "Wow, this feels a lot better than <laughs> yeah. my sandals. I'm just so lazy like I literally wear them all day, all freaking day." I have the same ones, just they're not, they don't have the white stripe, it's, or white stripes, it's just the black, but right. they are comfy. They are really comfy. I don't like wearing shoes around the house, but I do have sneakers nearby, and I put them on always when I play. But I've gotten great response about both. I don't know why people are paying attention to my, my footwear so much, but they like the Adidas, and they like the Vans, so it's a win-win. Yeah, it just you're, there was a, a a recent one you did where you were doing kind of a double bass between your right hand and your. And I was wearing the and Adidas. You're wearing the sandals, and I was like, "Damn it, Madden's like better than me with oversized sandals." Because mine, the the ones I like, I I like them to be kind of oversized and comfy and whatever. Mm-hmm. Then with I have like a theoretical V Radom shoe on, you know. Yeah. Um, there's no question there. I'm just saying it frustrated me. So thanks for that. That's just me being like the laziest person ever, honestly. <laughs> So I, you have updated your website since we last talked. And yes. speaking of Space Junk Forever, the website looks great. You've seen um, the Space Junk website? No, or no. The, uh, your website, oh, okay. which speaking of Space Junk earlier, one of the songs, Lovely Lonely Five, yes. is one of your songs you play on there. Yes. And I noticed that you didn't hit the wing nut like you did in the Ludwig no. uh, live stream, Thank which is God. good. Thank God, yes. Yeah. But yeah, so how did that come about? It was, it, it was a minor showcase simple video. Where'd you record that? Are you talking about the most recent, like, really pro-looking, lovely, lonely video that was done, or the one where I hit the wing nut? Not the one where you hit okay, the wing nut. Okay. I'm sorry. I was just having fun with that one. But, uh, yeah, the one that's more of, like, the blue oh, shade, yeah. the one that's on your website. Like, those performances, I've only seen the two that are on the website, but they sound great. Right, right. I'm assuming they were Meinl-backed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I had the opportunity to be flown out to Nashville. Uh, Chris Brewer, we've been talking for a while about doing that. And we just thought it was the right time to make it happen. You know, like I feel like during September, October, things were slowing down a little bit and everyone was feeling generally better about the state of the world. And then it got pretty bad again, but that was like a very relaxed 
period where I felt comfortable going out to travel and do that. And it was like, oh my God, it was one of the best days I've had. It was such a great experience and it was just so easy, you know? Mm-hmm. I just walked into the studio. Everybody was like such a pleasure. Um, the video crew, the engineer, assistant engineers, Chris, like it was it was a really good team that was there that day. And I think they did such an amazing job. That video looks really beautiful. Like the, it the sounds background, great too. yeah, yeah, it sounds incredible. So I'm very happy we got to do that and make that happen in 2020 of all years. You used a big fat snare drum uh, XL, so thank oh, you for yes, that. Yes, of course, that is so essential. You know what's funny? I asked for an 18 inch floor tom because every minor video I watched every like every single player had two floor toms so i was like oh well i have to use two floor toms now yeah, like it's legal now yeah yeah like how could i not i i would just feel i would feel naked without it so yeah i was like yeah i'll i'll have like a 10 12 16 18 and then i get to the studio and they were like you know i don't think we've ever had a drummer use an 18 inch floor tom i was like huh what do you mean <laughs> And they're like, yeah. yeah, everybody uses 14 and 16. I was like, oh, God, what did I set myself <laughs> up for? Because I've never used an 18 either. <laughs> and it was such... See, you tried to be other people and you, you fell on your face. I know. It was like the most monstrous thing. It was fun, but it was gigantic. But It's kind of a funny thing you, you bring that up because me and Gunnar Olsen always had this ongoing debate where I, I like 14-inch floor toms, but mm-hmm. he... He's a great, he can tune drums like a madman, but he says that he just can never get a 14-inch floor tom to sound like he wants to. Interesting. And so, I, yeah, he never gets it, and it's always this kind of back and forth. So I might actually buy a 14-inch floor tom for his birthday. You just got to throw like six on a donut. Them. It'll sound incredible. That's the answer. And thanks for being on the show, Matt. Yeah, That's all we needed you from you. So. No, seriously, it has helped me so much. It's like a part of my sound now. I am really happy because I remember last time you kept name dropping a lot of people because you're a lot cooler than me and I didn't know them. But I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, Franco. Uh, but um, I actually know four of the five of the drummers you said. So oh, nice. I feel like I can hang today. Oh, my God. I'm so curious to know which one it is. This could be like a, a game show. I have to guess which one you don't know. <laughs> well, it's definitely not the first one. Oh, yeah. Uh, that would be a little embarrassing for me. But, uh, um, well, the, the one I didn't know, I did go down a rabbit hole of... Um, they're playing uh, last night so i do know them now but number one is going to be elon rubin yes at the 2011 guitar center drum off mm-hmm. and uh about minute 39 so i'm going to play it right now i'll start a little bit before that but that's kind of when he comes in yeah. but i'll just play for when the uh kind of starts his little drum machine and then we'll get going cool
I'm gonna have to turn that off for the sake of my own ego. So there that is. I have watched that solo many, many times. I think it's like, if you ever ask me what my favorite drum solo is, that is the one that comes to mind first. So when you hit me up about this, once I figured out what we were doing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is the first person I thought of, for sure. Um, did you know about Elon before? Because you, you know I'm going to bring up Paramore eventually with this. Did you know about him before you were into Paramore? Or was he the kind of the conduit to, or they were they the conduit to him? Yeah, so when I first got into Paramore, um, I was in eighth grade. I remember so clear it was my 13th birthday when I first heard Paramore and I just, that was like the end. There's Madden before 13 and Madden after 13 and that was <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the turning point. So BP and yeah, AP. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I listened to Paramore like religiously for many, many years. I didn't look into who was on the records besides Paramore, of course, because I just wasn't that aware of those types of things. I was pretty young. Um, so I did not know about Elon Rubin. I just knew that the drums in this record were magical. It just did what needed to be done, and I didn't really think more about that. And then when I was 17, I was going to a festival in New York called, called Panorama, which is on Randall's Island. It was like my first festival ever, and I was going to see a tribe called Quest. And someone I knew... Well, so it was a Tribe Called Quest and Nine Inch Nails headlining. Pretty crazy. So someone I knew, he was like, you have to get into Nine Inch Nails before you go to this. And he would like show it to me. I'd be like, mm, it's just like not my thing. Totally not my thing. So I go to this festival. I see a Tribe Called Quest. It's great. And um, now Nine Inch Nails is on. And I'm like, already dead for the day like I'm super tired I'm sitting up on the hill just like observing the show I'm not really engrossed in it and then they start playing March of the Pigs that song in like seven oh, four. Sure. and you just see Elon with his hair over his face like slamming the kit and sounding as tight as could be and I mm -hmm. swear it was like an out-of-body experience I was like like reeled into the stage when that happened. And I went down, I left the people I was with and I just kind of like participated in the show now. I partook in it when I, I had no idea who Nine Inch Nails once was. And it was one of my top show experiences, you know? It was just very pure. I didn't know what I was going into. I didn't know how it would make me feel. And it was like a very special experience and of course after that I went down the Elon Rubin rabbit hole and he like immediately became my favorite player. He is just an absolute musical powerhouse. It's not even like he's a rock drummer that hits hard and is a powerful drummer. It's like he sounds perfect for what he does. Any drummer on this planet could look at him and be like he is a master. So mm -hmm. that is my guy. Big inspiration, yeah. I mean, I know you just kind of said it's not about just his powerful drumming, but that that solo specifically, what is it what, that makes that one the best drum solo as opposed to other things he's done? Right. Well, I think when you look up Alon Rubin, that's one of the first things that pops up. So, of course, mm -hmm. I saw it and I was like, holy crap, this dude sounds like 
it just feels right. Something about it feels so good. And it's actually a little bit further after you stopped it. He starts going. Of course. Of <laughs> but of course. <laughs> he starts going into uh, like groove writing on the spot. And I've actually taken some of those grooves and tried to put it into my own music without directly stealing from him because it is just the beats are they just feel amazing you know mm -hmm. it's just very a uh, different approach it's like a classic approach to rock drumming but in a very refined and musical way um yeah i just really love that solo i also love that it's like the classic rock solo where you play four measures and then you hit the crash and then you have a new idea and then you hit the crash it's very structured and i feel like we don't get that a lot anymore it's seen as like an amateur form, but sure. it doesn't have to be, you know? If that's how you roll, if that's if that's how you're going to sound the way you sound, then go for that, you know? I don't think mm -hmm. a lot of people do that anymore. Well, let me actually, I'm going to play it again, and I'll let it go from where I stopped, essentially, yeah, yeah. to the part that I... He starts I, uh... going into these really sick beats. when he pulls it into those heavy grooves that's a mm -hmm. song right there that should be yeah. that should be a, a song he's just full of material it's awesome and i know i haven't seen at least i'll just admit i haven't seen it a lot on your page do you experiment with open-handed technique or is that something you haven't really dove into yet i used to when i was younger um a close friend of mine he's my age and we've been playing together since we were in like fourth grade he's also like a super amazing jazz musician and i always mm. thought he was way better than me and he played open-handed so i was like oh i guess i need to play open-handed yeah. so like but he's lefty so that makes sense but when i was younger yeah. i would try and mess with it and sometimes if my hand is hurting like if i have a long session i might switch to some form of open-handed or at least mm -hmm. hitting the backbeat with my right hand instead of my left to give it a break but that's about it. I don't do it very much. Was was Zach Farrow now that you know, once you actually more did more research on Paramore, mm -hmm. do you still look at him as a huge inspiration? Or is it mainly the record that that um like it was the self titled yeah. one that Elon was on? Yeah, yeah. self titled is definitely my Paramore record. Everybody has their mm. Paramore record that they cherish and they say is the absolute best. For yeah. me, it's always been self titled, but yeah, you go back to like all we know is falling. Is that the name of the first record? I know Misery Business was the first one that I oh, heard. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, well, yeah, the one yeah, sorry. with the red couch. Um, yeah, that is ridiculous because I think Zach was either like 11 or 13 and he yes. sounds just as musical and supports the song and plays with such 
confidence for that age. That is just stupid to me. So he has definitely influenced my playing as well, for sure. That's great. Yeah. All right, number two. I do know this guy. Uh, I sometimes butcher his name. John Stanier. That's what I say, but I'm not sure. I think that's what it is. All right, John, I'm sorry if I butchered your name. You have a really cool last name that I think it's cool when people don't know how to say your name. Hey, like People have butchered my name. Really? Yeah. How do they say it? Kloss. Okay. Well, my name's uh, Hilsinger, and everyone, it feels better to say Helsinger. That's whenever people miss miss uh, type my name, miss say it. That's like sixty percent of the time they assume it's an E, which is it happens. I guess that's fine too. Yeah, yeah. All right. So John Stanier from Battles. Yes. Uh, I have seen these guys live. I mean, mm. I I feel sorry for any snare drum that is put in front of him. That's right. But uh, <laughs> hey, you want to know something so, cool? Yeah. Can't see it from here, but I have uh, a Battles floor tom head back there signed so it is it is over your left shoulder i was gonna ask about that before we hopped on but there it is um, is it a 14 inch or a 16 inch uh it's a 16 okay i think i think it's a 16 uh well let's just play the song futura futura yeah um from gloss drop from 2011 and you said to start around 57 yeah keeping the 2011 theme strong (laughs) i did notice that yes those beats that you hear it and you're like oh yeah let me just sit behind the kid and just play that and you sit down and you have to like hear it three or four more times before you actually figure out what he's doing it's it's deceivingly easy totally. or deceivingly hard i don't know how that phrase is it's harder than it sounds absolutely what say. yeah <laughs> what he is such a weird player that is such a weird it's one of the weirdest bands i've ever heard and it works so well like you hear that guitar loop. Nothing changes mm-hmm. about that loop except you hear the synth is starting to enter. Uh, and he provides all the variation. That's not typical for a drummer, you know? The drummer's supposed to hold it down. But he's going nuts on the hi-hat. And he sounds... He's playing like a producer. He's like, what will emotionally fit this moment best? And that's not being stagnant. That's like... Mm-hmm being very weird and surprising with where I place my notes and my accents and I am like really into that sound. And I think that's similar to like Stuart Copeland as well, messing with those accents. But John does it in a much more like broken up way. Mm -hmm. It's like his backbeat remains the same, but some other element is going to be constantly changing. And I just love the way he sounds. He does it in a way too that still still feels um, trancey. Like mm-hmm. he's not switching it up to the point where a non-musical drummer could be like, "I can't bob my head to this." Oh, he still he, he respects not. the groove, but it's just enough that people that are in the know are like, "Oh, he's switching it up quite a bit and oh, yeah. bringing stuff in and taking it out." Yeah, it's glitchy. He makes mm. it feel glitchy 
because that's what serves the sound of this band, but that backbeat is as tight as ever, you know? And he's not always doing stuff like that. Like, sometimes he just sits, sinks into the groove, and he lays back, but this one has a really interesting forward urgency to it, and I just think he's so cool. I saw them in December of 2019, and he's got mm. his hi-hat, like, above his head, and Dude, yeah. the symbol, uh, high as can be. And he is sweating after 10 seconds. Like, he is just a <laughs> madman. So, so cool. Yeah. I did want to talk about that, his symbol, because obviously, well, I won't say obviously, but if people don't know John, he's known for having one symbol that is basically as high as you can possibly be. Like, if you stand up, you probably still can't reach yeah. it uh, without, you know, straining yourself. And his purpose is that it's so out of the way that he wants every time he hits that to be deliberate. And it has to be there because I think any drummer would admit that we all have a tendency to, you know, listen back and like, I didn't need to put a crash there. Didn't need to put a crash there or there. I did and, not know um, that. That is That's so why he cool. does that. That is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's that. That's why. I mean, it's because it looks ridiculous. I mean, it's such a such a I, I don't want to say shtick because he's explained why he does it but uh -huh. it's such a cool thing you can look at um, a bunch of you know records anything live it's it's just as far up there as possible yeah like you look at it head on and you're like he can't hit that he's gonna <laughs> yeah i would like to see him miss it i've never seen him yeah. miss that dang thing like i would love to see his doctor just like stop coming in talking about your rotator cuff i see your damn videos oh, by the God. way john you know john um <laughs> uh, when it comes to ergonomics, uh, since you said you hadn't realized that till just now, mm -hmm. do you have anything that you set up about your playing in a similar way that's like, it's kind of over there because I want it to be a choice? Honestly, that would be no. I try and get everything as close to me as possible because I don't want to struggle when I do make the choice because I'm like a really small person. So if something is not close to me, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to hit it, you know? But mm -hmm. I change my setup a lot, uh, and I only use what is necessary for the time. If something's there, I'm not going to use it like crazy, but it might inspire me differently. It might have me have me make different choices, but I don't find that it, it makes me, like, unresponsible with my choices, you know, having everything sure. very close. But I, that is such a cool way to discipline yourself. That is so <laughs> awesome. Did you ever get in a helmet, by the way, which yeah. was his band? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think it's in the first two records. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's it's not it's different. It's a different style than than battles, but uh, it yeah. definitely is him. Powerful. They mess with time signature in a cool way. Mm -hmm. A lot of the songs start off with drum intros because John's amazing. Yeah. Um, the, so check out Helmet as well. Yeah, too. the lead singer of Weedus is so into Helmet. When I showed him the band Turnstile. Um, I love that band. That's like a hardcore band from Baltimore. He was like, no, you got to go to Helmet. Because they were, what year were they from? Like late 80s or 90s? Yeah, I think the two records that John was on uh, were like 91, 93. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, they, they've been around for, for a hot minute. Yeah, that's a very different sound for him. Yes. I think, yeah. Um, before we go to the next one, I do want to say, or I want to ask you, when I, 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 I'm curious if the next two are the reason why I think this, I think I know your answer. What is your favorite part of the drum set for you to express your uniqueness? If there, if there was an element that you're like, this is what I spend the most time on to kind of like say something different within a song. Ooh, that is so interesting. Maybe the ride symbol. 
I tend okay. to be as colorful as possible with the ride symbol, which is, and the hi-hat. Just depends on what part of the song we're at. But yeah, that is where I can find myself being the most intentful with my playing because if the snare's going to be there, it's got to be there, you know? But mm-hmm. I could build my groove with the hi-hat going from like, soft to loud in a very small amount of time or adding some weird offbeat accent or throwing in different uh, like note rates. And similarly with the ride symbol, obviously I've only got really my right hand to work with, but I can make lots of choices going from the bell um, and just throwing in different weird accents, which I've totally stolen from Stuart Copeland. I'm really into that sound. We're all guilty of it. I know. I mention him all the time. He has been a big inspiration the past few years. I would love to get him on because he'd be someone like, where the hell did you come from? You know? Yeah. I Um, actually, this is funny. I played a show in LA two years ago now, almost exactly two years ago. And I stepped off the stage and I see this like tall dude and he's got, you know, like gray hair and glasses and he kind of looks like Stuart Copeland. And I was like, hey... This is a weird question, but are you Stuart Copeland? He was like, no, but, you know, that's something Stuart Copeland might say. And I was like, okay, bye. I was, I really got off the stage. I didn't go backstage. I got off the stage to ask this guy if he was Stuart. You just dropped your cymbals and just walked towards him. Exactly. He was standing right next to me. So I was like looking at him a lot. And he was just like, no, but that might be something Stuart Copeland says. So. You never know. Do you still, when you, you know, at those moments at night when it's all quiet, do you think that was Stuart Copeland? Do you still have, is there a tiny bit of you? Small, very small part of me. But like, I was talking about it with everyone backstage. They were like, that wouldn't make sense. Like he would try and get on the guest list or something or like contact us. Maybe not though. That was such a weird day. I also ran into J.D. Beck outside of the show, if you can believe that. Okay. J.D. Beck and Domi and I was holding all this crap like all of my stuff and I just like stopped them in their tracks like they were going somewhere and I was like I know who you are but you don't know me and I think you're so awesome and we just they were like oh cool that's that's awesome yeah Stuart Copeland just came to see my show I want to know that I am important I am yeah. exactly <laughs> crazy things will happen in LA yeah I guess JD JD sat down at uh, our our booth at Nam, mm-hmm. and it was one of the few times where anyone within thirty feet shut up, mm-hmm. and they were just like, "Okay, what the hell is this kid doing?" Yep, um, he's doing so much in a little bit of time. I have no idea what's going on, but it was yeah, it was it was really cool. I know he is incredible. Hey y'all, I wanted to. <laughs> I can't say I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember 
Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye um, all right. So the, my, I, I thought you were going to say hi-hat because I really think that you're nothing against your ride symbol. Uh, it's great. Great. But um, yeah, your hi-hat is just how I, I, you are very expressive on that. Oh. A lot of drummers are, but um, for the next two choices, I thought that that might be your answer because the, these guys have a lot of stuff to say on that. But yeah. number three is Perrin Moss. Yes. And this is the drummer, by the way, that I did not That's what know. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Perrin Moss from Hiatus Coyote. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you want me to play Sphinx Gate yeah. from the, is it Live in Revolt EP or Live in Revolt? Live I'm, I'm in, assuming it's li- Live. It is. Yeah. Live in Revolt EP. I mean, from... I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I, so- I sounded so confident when I said that, but it is a live performance. So I would assume it's live. underrated like everybody has so much respect for hiatus coyote but i don't think his name is tossed around enough he i agree i didn't know him about him until i mean i've heard of the band it's one of those bands that i'm like oh i should know Mm. i've a lot of people i respect have brought them up but i've never gone down a rabbit hole and i i am really excited to do that yeah yeah he he was a very very big deal for me when I was like 16, 17, I think I discovered hiatus from like Spotify Discover Weekly. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, this is this is it. As for so many people I know, that was like, where has this been all my life? And it comes sure. it comes from so many influences that I just wasn't aware of aware of. Like I didn't listen to much R and B when I was younger. And when I would show hiatus to other people, they were like, oh, well, you gotta know where they come from. It was like D'Angelo, um, Erica Badu. So yeah. I, yeah, they were like my entrance into that world and my entrance into Dilla, you know? Dilla beats and mm-hmm. Dilla feel. I had no idea that was a thing until I heard hiatus. And I think I discovered them at the perfect time because I was just going to Berkeley Five Week, which is the camp that they have. 
and when I had discovered hiatus on my own, I was like, oh my God, nobody's going to like this. Like this has to be one of the weirdest things I've ever listened to. And they were going to be playing in Boston that summer, but I was like, I'm not going to get a ticket just yet. Like, let me go to the summer camp, see if I make a friend who wants to come with me. And then I find out every single friend I made, they're like, what are you doing? We all have tickets. You don't have a ticket. I was like, oh no. (laughs) And I I go to find tickets. And of course it's like mega sold out. StubHub quadruple the price that it was. Um, Mm. But my grandma helped me buy a ticket, which is very, very sweet because Gotta love G-Ma. Gotta love her. She was like, I want to help you go to your special band concert. I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's... I need to go. Thank you. Uh, so I got into them at the right time because that was what was hip when I got to Berkeley. Mm. Almost too hip to the point where everyone has completely burnt it out, you know? Yeah. Which is kind of sad. But they also haven't come out with any new music in a long time, so I get it. Like, you can only listen to this record so much. But, yeah, Perrin Moss, really big deal in just, like, expanding my vocabulary and discovering this other world of hip-hop and R&B and textures and sounds on the kit, you know? Of course, I started buying, like you know, the tambourine to go on the hi-hat and like the little wooden shells. I don't even know what you call those. Yeah, like the hooves or something. Hooves from like the goat hooves or something. I don't know. And I would just break them. Like they would be on my hi-hat and I would just crack every single one. So that didn't didn't work out great. I, I was messing with all that stuff all over the kit. I had a tambourine on my crash cymbal I had the hooves on the hi-hat and I went into one of my first sessions ever when I was 17 and the engineer actually like got mad at me he was like what is on your cymbals it's making so much noise and it was so not good for the setting like it was a pop punk group so I'm crashing all the time (laughs) and he was like get that off right now I was like oh okay yeah, Sorry. I know what you mean. When you first get obsessed with something, you're just like, well, it has to go on everything. It has to be on It's like you, when you buy a, a, a new coat and you go to Cancun in July, you're like, I look so cool, but you're dying. Exactly. Totally. It became like a bit of an obsession trying to figure out what made Perrin Perrin. And of course, at Berkeley, we're all trying to figure out how he makes that delay sound. And mm. for a while, I thought it was just separating the kick from the hat, like, that's what everybody yep. thought it was, but that's just part of the sound. Really, the foundation is quintuplets. And I actually took a beat, uh, not a beat, I'm sorry, I took a, a class with James Murphy called Delay Beats, where he goes into the entire scope of how you build off of that quintuplet feel and where it comes from. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a cool class. I've never heard someone say that, because I know Brody Simpson who's one of my favorite drummers. He's also a friend of the podcast. He's That's kind of what he's known for is kind of his Dilla beat kind of thing. And uh, he didn't describe it that way. Maybe that's not how he thinks about it. Um, how did he describe but, it? I'm curious. Um, he described it, and Brody, I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this, um, but it's basically he constitutes a groove is dynamics and then repeatability of dynamics, and that's what a groove is. And so he's just, you know, choose where it's going to be and then even if it's super off, if it's repeated every single time, you that's the groove. That and works. 
I don't think he broke it down in more of a subdivision thing, but that that's cool that some people think mechanically, some people think a little more esoteric. So That's definitely true. Like it isn't just one thing. That that Dilla feel could just be pushing the groove a little bit more than the band is, you know? Mm-hmm. That creates that similar sort of tension. It definitely doesn't have to be all about the quintuplets, but that is what James's class was about. Like that was his science behind it. And that was also very helpful in terms of note placement and just like understanding where it comes from. And then you could stretch it or shrink it as much as you want and make it your own for the setting that you're in. Well, and there's also, there's not just one kind of drummer because right. some people could take Brody's uh, thing and that would just totally resonate with them or the more mechanical people. Like I, can you give me like numbers and I need to think about, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, when I was looking up Perrin, he has this video where he's just, he seems like more of an artist to me because in his studio, everything, he sits on the ground. It's like he has his drum set on a stool, but yeah. everything else, his computer, his his synths, everything, he's on the ground. I so know. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's an artist because oh, they yeah. don't like chairs. For sure, you know? for sure. Yeah, he is, but, I think they're from Melbourne. Melbourne? Yeah. Melbourne. So, uh, Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He, there's a video of him doing like a little interview and he said the he also plays open-handed I don't know if you saw that but the way he developed that was by only having a cajon Mm. and a hi-hat it was either a cajon and a hi-hat or a cajon and a snare so he played bass drum with his right hand which only left his left hand available to do everything else so that's sort of where his style developed uh and when I saw him live it was cool he had a snare drum and another snare drum as his as is like rack tom replacing his rack tom he just were the snares turned on i don't i don't remember he probably did like a combination of both but Mm -hmm. yeah he just gets really interesting sounds well and in one of the videos uh in 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 the same kind of realm of youtube videos he was um kind of recording a beat and he just played for like maybe six or seven bars and it's funny obviously i've seen live videos he can definitely play but he was playing almost purposely weird and his bass drum was flaming to where maybe you'd be like, oh, he's not a good drummer. But uh, I think he was purposely doing that. And then he would just take one little bar and then just loop that so that that weird feel that you were like, I don't know, becomes a good feel because Absolutely. it's repeated. Yeah. And uh, it was, yeah, it's, yeah, so it's really cool. Brody Definitely go to the rabbit hole. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's a good perspective for sure. And he has been, uh, I will, he, he was quoted by me saying, uh, when a musician really knows their instrument, it's hard to be content with a really simple idea. And that's what he always grapples with because on drums, he is the most proficient on that, but he was equating that to a new guitar or a new synth that he has no, like he, he relishes in that beginning stage because you don't know what not to play or what you could play. Yeah. And so it's hard as drummers, and there is a question in here, I think, but how do you grapple with the fact that you are extremely proficient on your instrument? And maybe when you're playing with, uh, you know, Ravi and the Houseplants, how do you take everything you know and then cut it down to a more indie, um, subdued, simpler concept? Well, that's just me being like, very very involved in the music and not myself it's really Mm -hmm. and all of it feels good no matter what is being played if it fits right in the song then it feels 
right for everybody, for your band, for yourself, for your listeners. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just being a part of the the collective of sounds um, and paying attention to other people, not to yourself. Focus on another element. She lets me. She lets me get weird though. You know, she doesn't restrain me much. But yeah, there are just so many examples of like amazing indie rock bands who do weird shit and play with weird textures or don't and just it's just whatever works you know grizzly bear does a lot of cool stuff yeah um it's pretty approachable pop music in a lot of ways but uh i forget the drummer's name but yeah, i'm not sure there's a lot of fun stuff yeah, yeah. their beats are so weird mm-hmm. but then they also have some where it's just boop boop cat boop 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 cat you know yeah. so yeah they know Totally. But do you ever, I was going to ask, because I'm slowly getting into traditional grip. And the reason why I tied it into to Perrin is because when I play traditional, it's just when I want to do, you know, Levon Helm style grooves. And it makes me play behind the beat so oh. aggressively. And so that's why I do it. But are there any things that you do that you know you can't do normally, but just do when you want to have a certain feel? Like, do you put your foot a different way? Do you set up your hi-hat differently because it forces you to do something different? Hmm. I don't think that's something I've ever thought about before. Is there something that I do differently to get a different sound? Well, actually... Like for me, I'll... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say it's the the tuning of my kit. Mm. That'll be the thing that forces me into a new box, you know? Mm-hmm. If my toms are tuned high, I'm definitely going to sound different than I've, if I've got these like meaty, punchy toms. And for houseplants, a lot of the time I will throw like a big fat snare drum on there or I'll tune my snare a different way because the snare that I love that works for every other context doesn't work all the time for that group. So I think tuning is what really puts me in a different headspace than anything else. Not so mm-hmm. much positioning, I'd say. And also, yeah, yeah, similarly to tuning, like throwing moon gel on the cymbal or something i love doing that and getting like a drier sound mm-hmm. yeah and it it forces me to not play rim shots as well that's a good point if my if i put a big fat snare on or i tune my snare low i am no longer playing rim shots and that is sometimes very important for the overall sound of a track all right so the next one is marco miniman and it's at the beginning of Bad Asteroid by the Aristocrats. I almost said Aristocats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll just play it from the beginning. Yeah, that's a, all we can just move on to the next one. He really, what a guy. He's such a character. Um, yeah, I discovered them the beginning of Berkeley. I was playing 
maybe it was a bit into Berkeley, I was playing with a good friend of mine named Matt Vinya, who is also the lead guitarist of Space Junk. And hmm. he is like super into Guthrie Govan. Um, so we were auditioning for this like guitar night at Berkeley and he wanted us to play Erotic Cakes, which is a song by Guthrie Govan and it's got Marco on drums. I'm pretty sure about that. Hmm. So of course, then I went into the rabbit hole, but that is like the best example of his playing that blows me away. Oh my God, those crispy hats and the bells. It's a lot of the playing, it's the way I would love to sound or just incorporate into my playing that tasteful busyness and all the colors he messes with. And it's just sonically really pleasing to me. And he's just so tight, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no denying that he is an incredible, incredible player. A thing from that beginning uh, specifically that I kind of tied into you mm. is your your dynamics on tom fills. Mm. You yeah. can go. You're still going fast, but you're finishing off the fill. But it's not just about subdivisions and timing. It's about really going. You know, telling a little bit of a story yeah. in the fill dynamically, um, which I love about your playing. Oh, thank so. you. I got that. A lot from Dave DiCenzo. If you just mm. watch him, that is his thing. You know, he's got the left hand that's popping out a bit more, and then he quiets down, then he comes back. Like, th- that is a really, really cool sound that I've tried to take from him a little bit. And it just helps with, like, the flow around the kit. If you're not, it is a great sound to be at one static volume. That is also an awesome sound, but it's not really how I sound, and it might slow me down. So sometimes it's more fun to play with dynamics and Marco definitely hits that. I was talking to Dimitri Fantini when he was on the show and we were kind of playfully arguing about is dynamics kind of like a greater than less than dynamics versus timing. And my consensus, if I had a gun to my head would say that dynamics are more important than timing. Cause if you have good dynamics, you can kind of get away with. Yeah. It immediately becomes musical. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and of course he's a drum teacher, mostly by trade. So he was like, I can't go on record saying that timing isn't isn't important, but I think secretly he was like, I know what you mean. Um, but shout out to Dimitri. If you're listening, we love you. Big fan of Dimitri. He's a super nice guy and I'm really, really into his playing and his sounds. He gets such crazy sounds in the studio. I'm like always trying to pick his brain and get his opinion on like what gear I need to have. And he's very willing to share his opinion, which is cool. And while it doesn't work in every application for what I do, his cranked Gretsch snare, that hammered one that you see in a lot of his videos, whenever I am in the car playing along to like air drumming, that's my snare sound that like speaks to me more than any other snare sound. I know I shouldn't say this because I (laughs) work with big fat snare drum, but I also want to say, and I know you are endorsed by Vic Firth, so you won't be able to you won't be able to agree with me right now. But I know the Marco Miniman uh, Promark signature stick used to be one of my. Uh, I always had a few of those in my bag. Mm-hmm. It just it feels good. That stick feels really good. Yeah, I've never tried it, um, but I'm sure it's awesome. Is it smaller or longer? I think it's pretty standard. standard. I think it's like a five A. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's longer than in most sticks. It, uh, it's it, it's got the uh, what do you call it? Like the barrel tip, like the more like the circular tip. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's yeah, it just feels really good That's for kind so of awesome. like medium. You know, I've played with Eve Six. It's it can get powerful, but it's not crazy. I mean, kind of like his his playing. He's not a powerhouse, but he has finesse. So it kind of 
meets both worlds. Yeah, he, he keeps the uh, power and the double kick mostly. Everything else is like very delicate but also hard hitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's an interesting dude. I got to see um, the Aristocrats one time in Boston, and that was honestly not the best show just because of the venue it was at, but he was very, very mm. fun to watch. I think he played like a 25-minute solo. I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. The, and he'd be one of the drummers that you'd be okay with that. Yeah, it, and he gets very funny with it. Like, it's it's very interactive, but yeah. he Yes. There's a lot... A lot to learn just in a, a moment of listening to him. And he kind of reminds me of like Carter Beaufort and Tim Alexander. And I'm very into mm. that style as well. I just happen to want my playing to relate most to Marco's. But mm-hmm. yeah, pulling from all those like little bells and busy hi-hats. It's, so, it's such a fun sounding way to play. What was the venue, if you don't mind me asking? It was the Middle East downstairs in Boston. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I oh knew you were going to say that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Oh. That... You're like, it's a good drum solo, but did someone just pee on me? Oh, my God. That venue, like, God forbid anything ever happened down there. Oh, what, yeah. What would we all do? What would yeah. we do? We would be so screwed. We screwed. Yeah. Like, it's just not set up well. I'm, like, kind of claustrophobic. It, you can't see the stage. I'm small. Like, I guess it's a bit of a vibe, but it it's not my favorite sounding. Um, I've played the Middle East upstairs a few times. That is mm. great to play at. They do mm. a great job of making it sound awesome, and a lot of people come to the show. But I'm not even sure if that venue is operating anymore after all this. Yeah, it just the, the smell of that place is lingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just not a lot of great, accessible, just like a tier below paradise type venues in Boston. Like, mm-hmm. I guess that is similar to the size of Brighton Music Hall. But yeah. I don't even really like Brighton Music Hall either. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Paradise Rock Club and um, the Sinclair is awesome. I haven't played either of those. I played Brighton, and that oh, has yeah. definitely higher ceilings, mm-hmm. and the green room's nicer in that one. Oh, but, uh, yeah, it's a it's a good vibe, but when I played on stage, I felt like I couldn't see anybody in the audience, and like sure. all my friends were there, and I just couldn't see anybody, but also they've got that weird setup where people can sort of stand behind you, like it's all open on the side where it would usually be yeah. cut off, so like mm-hmm. also they're not getting the best sound. I'm like... Guys, move yeah. in front of the stage because it's not going to sound good on the side. But they yeah, didn't yeah. care. It's fine. Was that with Weedis? Yeah, that was with Weedis and Mike Doty. And they almost entirely operate from the monitors. Nothing, there's not much stage sound happening. The guitars. I was going to say. Cause, yeah, yeah, everything is in the box, including the drums, except for the cymbals. <laughs> so, like, I don't know what they were hearing. And then for Mike Doty's set, everything was hard panned, just like ruby vroom the album they tried to oh yeah they tried to make it very similar so who knows what they were hearing off on the side i don't know (laughs) your friends that don't know drums they're like is they're like look is madden bad at drums all here is cymbals exactly jeez why'd become i know Uh, the last thing i'll say about marco is he helped me a lot with uh like like a finger technique because he's he's really into kind of a i don't know a a sedentary fulcrum and then just blah 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 blah, um 
a lot. And yes. if you guys aren't watching this, I'm basically <laughs> French grip, you know, and that that whole thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's he's very powerful and consistent um, using not so much his wrists, but incorporating his fingers, which is wish I was better at it. But I definitely when I do do it, it's because of Marco. Yeah, he's he's really good at it. And everything's like right in the middle of the drum, even when he's just explaining like some timing thing. He's got his drumio video where he's talking about odd time, but then you just look at his hand technique, you're like, so what do I focus on? Timing or hand technique? Like there's just yeah. too much to grab here. All I know is that whenever I watch Marco, I'm always in a better mood afterwards because mm. he's just such a fun guy. And there's that uh there's that dream theater uh audition yes. he did, which some could some say that it's like they already knew who they were gonna pick. It was kind of just a promo for those drummers. But his audition, they were just like laughing the whole time because you look over and Marco's just like <laughs> <He's so laughs> having funny. the best time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's a good personality. Absolutely. Uh, all right, number five. And again, I do know this gentleman. Uh, it's Ash Sohn. And this is uh, from a YouTube video he did called Ghost Ship Timeout. Do you know if, is it like a, a shed track thing he did or did he write this song or? He posts like on YouTube every single day, which I feel like yeah. so few people do that anymore. He still treats, he treats YouTube like Instagram. He'll just put everything everywhere, which is awesome. But that must take so much time. Um, I think yeah. he does write his tracks. I know some of them are made to be shed tracks and backing tracks for drummers, but I'm not sure what he does with all the little things that he writes. Maybe he gets them from other artists. I'm not sure. But this one was sure, sure. particularly cool. I'm just going to play the whole thing because it's yeah, not it's super long. Short. inspiration he is like just catapulted into my top favorite players for sure and it took me a while like I had seen him of course all over the place the past two years and my bandmate Jordan he would send me his videos all the time he's like oh I don't know what it is about Sky but it always just feels so good and I was like yeah like I I had seen some of his videos where he has the GoPro strapped on his chest and you see him like doing the shuffle and stuff but Lately, as I've gotten into the world of recording and mixing my drums, that's been like my whole journey the past year. That's all I've been focusing on. He is like my guiding light. What mm -hmm. He just sounds so crazy. First, the way he plays, his spacing is everything. He could do one little drag, drag tap, 
and it sounds better than I've ever heard before and could ever try and make it sound. He just knows where to place notes to have it be most effective for the listener and whatever mm. track he's serving. And that's why he's like the session guy. And then mm -hmm. you get into the way his drums sound, they sound perfect, you know? So I've been like trying to steal his miking techniques and see what mics he uses, but I don't know how he gets that independence out of every single uh, like close mic he uses. I agree. It sounds crazy. It sounds like he's manipulating the shit out of everything, but he probably just knows how to tune his drums and get that sound and put whatever like thing on the master bus that makes it all like warm. It's just so cool. Yeah. That intro fill that he does is a perfect example of how clean he is because even if you're doing, and I know you've talked about this with James Murphy and the glue method and doing certain stickings, but you know, going from 32nd notes to 16th note triplets to eighth notes and whatever. Sometimes you can still tell if someone's like, oh, they learned that lick in this subdivision because they kind of accent in a weird way every four you know groupings but with him when he starts I mean, he starts a lot of songs with these crazy fills you really have no idea is he like you don't know the tempo of the song because he's so clean across the board that i mean you don't know where his kind of head's at and yeah i mean especially with all those delays he has going yes he loves yeah. that yeah in that song i almost wonder if I'm not sure if you've done this. I haven't, but I know people do. They take their the audio from their bass drum track and convert it into MIDI, like afterwards. Okay. Mike Dawson's talked about it, so that basically you can make whatever bass um, bass sound or synth you're doing match up perfectly with your bass drum, and then you can take out certain. You know, you don't have to have every bass drum hit be a MIDI note. You can take it out so it sounds like boom, 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 boom. It almost sounds like that's what he's doing here. Be because it's so perfect, especially that first fill when he goes the da 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 da, boom 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 da. All I have to say I'm is like, thank you. I will <laughs> surely be trying that. That is yeah. It, it makes cool. you and your bass player that doesn't exist sound like you're locked exactly. in. Exactly. I could just become more of my one woman band down here. I don't need anybody. Exactly. Let's go. <laughs> Making you more antisocial. This is exactly. great. Exactly. As if quarantine yeah. hasn't done that enough. <laughs> um. So yeah, it, but if he doesn't do that, it just means he's that locked into the track. Yeah, yeah but wow. In this one, in this one specifically, he also shows how it doesn't seem like he ever goes on autopilot. Mm. His every every hit, especially with the hi hat on this one, he's not just playing. Sometimes he's doing the Charlie Watts lift it up when the backbeat happens, mm -hmm. or he'll stop for a few and then just do them by himself. But it's not distracting. That's true. That's a really good point that he's not on autopilot. He's always thinking about his next move and he's very involved in whatever's, ha whatever's happening. And you could just see it on his face, you know? He mm -hmm. looks like he's having a blast. He's not like, oh my God, this is the 40th take of this thing that I've completely worked out, but I just can't play it. And maybe that's like a, a good thing to keep in mind. Don't go on autopilot or mm -hmm. don't be so like pre meditated with your playing you know just let it flow out of you whatever reaction you have to the track try and channel that because that's what gets an authentic sound like ashes totally yeah and a lot of people would be like well you don't want to be you know if you don't go on autopilot then you might add some more stuff but what he does is he takes stuff away True. so it's not like he's making it more busy because he's thinking about it he just is like well the hi-hat doesn't need to be like who 
Where in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, does it say that every once you start a hi hat on the eighth notes, yeah. the groove has to be that, and then you can dance the, the bass drum around that? It's right. like, no. It's just like John. You know? It's the same thing. It's like, what yeah. can I take away to then make this thing that was already there even more effective than it was before? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really cool idea. So many cool ideas from all these drummers. It's too much. I know, I know. I know. Well, that's kind of why I did this because half the time, like, I've learned, uh, I've found so many new, whether it's the flavor of the week or they become just on, in my Rolodex, but drummers like, like Perrin, mm-hmm. I mean, if this podcast, if, if one day it gets down to just one person listens to it, I have a blast because I find drummers that I've never heard of before. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that is the five. Did you have any honorable mentions that you didn't talk about that our discussion has made you be like, oh, I want to mention this, this I, guy or gal? Oh, there, there are so many. I mean, Sarah, uh, I hope I don't mispronounce her name, Sarah Thauer. Is that how you pronounce yes. it? Sarah mm-hmm. Drum Guru. She has been very inspirational lately. I've known about her for quite a while because I was a Watsky fan a couple of years ago mm. and I know that she toured with him. I wish that happened on my tour. I don't think she was playing then, but mm. she is so funny and so fun and such a ridiculous chopper and just also not pre precalculated, you know? It just sounds like she is on the spot doing whatever feels the coolest in that moment. Uh, and I think that really transcends with people. Um, well, she was actually on the podcast doing the top five, ah. uh, maybe a month and a half ago, two months ago. And she talks about that, how her Zildjian live performance, I asked her how she prepared for it. for it, And mm-hmm. she's just like, I, I, I never try and go into a session or anything with a preconceived notion, because then you think about adding that thing that the night before you're like, Oh, I'm going to do this fill. And you're trying to find a way to fit that yeah. when it's, it might not ever fit. So if that's how you perceived her playing, that is how she approaches it. She said it verbatim. That is very much how I don't operate when I'm in the mm. studio, because that'll like give me anxiety. I feel like if I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I guess it depends on what setting I'm in, you know, mm. like with the space young stuff, I know I'm going to want the record to sound like this, but I do channel that when I'm just playing by myself and I'm doing sessions on my own and recording myself. And I definitely try and channel some of her, her vibes into my playing. Cause I think she's a beast. She is so dope. And she's, yeah. And, uh, she got me her her uh, questions literally right before we hopped on, mm-hmm. and so I actually didn't have any time to oh, uh, kind of prepare. Yeah, no, no just, just to prepare. I mean, oh. We were able to play it, but I wasn't able to uh, prepare any follow up questions. So when I when I actually did it, um, I was hearing him for the first time because obviously her her choices were were very uh, I guess I would say worldly and mm-hmm. the things that I hadn't heard before because her. She has a lot of Indian influences, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it was really cool. It, it was a great podcast if you guys oh, want to listen to it. I got to check that out for sure. Um, yeah. That's interesting. You kind of had to follow her mindset of not going into anything with any <laughs> preconceived notion. You just kind of have was, to she see what happens. Me, yeah. Exactly. Maybe that was so, yeah. She read like Symbolic. the Art of the Deal or something before we exactly. signed on. <laughs> um, maybe yeah. another mention would be Dan Mayo. I am sure. very, very into him. He is quite unique. He is a uh, 
also somebody that I've been interested in in a, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, who doesn't want to sound like him, you know? Him and Brody are like the poster boys for yeah, ANF drums. Totally. They just like, you want to sound like exactly like them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that little tiny little, well, like I wouldn't say popcorn, but that tiny little. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. And he always plays in a warehouse and it just like everyone, every drummer's dream is to be in like an airplane hangar or a warehouse and play a really tightly tuned drum set. Yeah. That's kind of like my, you know, God, you, my mecca. You just watch people like that and you're like, do you ever make a mistake? Do you ever <laughs> not sound this on the grid? Because I'm getting upset watching you. It's like, <laughs> this isn't normal. <laughs> I could say the same about you, Madden. So, well, I mean, I you, guess the grass is always greener. <laughs> you should see the 40 takes before I finally get it. There, You know, oh. I, I'm always working on my placement on the grid. That's something that I've been too focused on the past few months. But it is really important to get that sound you want. You know, if you want to sound like a gospel player, they are so on the grid, it hurts, you know? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. just a millisecond makes all the difference in the world. And I feel like Dan Mayo is just, if you watch some of his solos that he's done with Minel, you're like, what is this guy on? Seriously, coming <laughs> yeah, up with exactly. all these crazy ideas, but sounding so calculated at the same time. He's super cool. I uh, I would love to have him on because I echo everything we you just said. I want to hear from you, Dan. Well, did you have any specific? I know you just said you uh, finished the new uh, the Space Junkus Forever. Would it yes. be a full uh, LP EP? It will be very yes. Nice. It's going to be a, a full length. Very very stoked. It's definitely the most polished we've ever sounded. The we took the process really really seriously, and we still are. So I think we could expect that to come out in like what is it February sometime early may or at the latest june so that's awesome yeah very excited for that um robbie and the houseplants we're still working on things and we're gearing towards making an ep over the summer and uh i'm a part of a new project called mages where i channel a lot of my influences because it is my most recent collaboration so Mm -hmm. all of my other stuff i've sort of develop my sound in that but this one was very open to me just like figuring out what I what voice I wanted to have on this group and it Mm -hmm. is very synth based and like it's modular um that is with my friend Tom Benson who did front of house for Weedus and Matthew Milligan who plays bass for Weedus it's a trio and he's a great bass player he's awesome yeah yeah, I've seen you tag him a lot on stuff you've done he is insane yeah oh yeah playing that giant Carl Thompson bass. Exactly. Yeah. How do you spell mages, by the way? Because I mean, I'll, I'll tag it. I'm sure people can find it on your Instagram, but someone just driving in the car and they hopefully pull over and then want to follow mages. What, uh, so, how do they find you guys? It's funny. It's spelled M-A-E-G-E-S, but we use that. I don't even know how you'd call it. That weird combined A and E that you might find in sure, your keyboard. Sure, sure, sure. Yep. But yeah, if you just type that in, that would be there. That's a really... Okay fun one um also recently i played on mike Doty's record his new project called ghost of room that's with mike and andrew scrap livingston and it's a small ep three song ep and there is 
more stuff coming in the future. So check that out. And you're still in school, um, but remotely, right? Yeah, yeah. You did not go back to Boston. Because I know last time we talked, which I think was mid-summer uh, last year, you were debating if if you couldn't play your drums, you, you wouldn't go back. Right. So. so I remember I told you on that podcast that Berkeley was going to be open for the fall, but then they were not. So now they are finally open, and I did not choose to go back because I'm I just got this big room. How could I leave this big yeah, room? It's so fun. fun. I can be very productive and in my own space here. And pretty much zero of my friends went back because they're on to greater life endeavors. At this point, we've all sort of been forced to get our lives started and not wait until school's over. So a lot of them were all spread out at this point um, and all doing the online thing. But I don't mind it. I'm still getting a really great education and I'm able to apply it where I am. Is this your last semester or do you have one more? I think I have two more. I am like- Okay, I won't bring it up. <laughs> I'm slowly trailing behind just cause I, I took that year off in 2019, but then I started taking summer courses to make up for it, but I couldn't bear to pack in like 17 credits like I normally would in a full semester. So the summer is only 12 weeks, a full semester is 16. So I was like, I can't pack in like, like 16, 17 credits in this time and it's summer, who wants to do that? So I've taken a bunch of like part-time semesters or just over full-time and then online, I can't bear to sit in front of my screen for more than two hours a day. So I am slowly getting there. I just am having trouble, you know, like densely packing my semesters. So I'll get there. Well, I would say if you zoom out, I would not say you're behind. I'd say you're eons ahead of most most players uh, alive today. So. Oh, thank you so much. Keep it up, and thanks for being on the show Absolutely. again. I was so sad that we kind of switched over to the Big Fat Five like right after I had you on, and so I've been meaning to get, to get you back on uh, because I'm I'm really excited we did this. So. Yeah, I appreciate it. This was a fun conversation. Got yeah. got me very inspired, honestly. A lot of, lot well, of good go. ideas in this one. Well, have a great day, and I will talk to you soon. Yeah, you too. Bye, Ben. All right. Bye. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe, and if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.